I had an experience in college where a bunch of buddies and I went to the Smoky Mountains and uh, did some backpacking. And on the way in, it was a kind of an out, out and back trip. We hiked up pretty high into elevation up there and camped. I think we were gone five days. Um, halfway up, we ran into a ranger who was carrying a sidearm, and he, he was mean, and he said very, in, in no unclear terms, if you let a black bear get your food, I will have to shoot it. Don't do that. Throw rocks at it. So, and he, he started talking about black bears everywhere, and a nuisance, and attacking us, and all this stuff. So I was like on hyper black bear uh, alert, and, and we're, we, were, we were hiking back on the way out, and we went up over a, a ridge like this, and my buddies were ahead of me, and I was kind of, we were kind of spaced out, and I had my hiking stick, and I was really looking. I, really, I started to want to see a black bear because we hadn't seen one for a couple of days. I'd, I'd never seen one there. And I come across a fresh pile of scat. So I'm like, with my stick, I'm down there in, in inspecting it, and I'm thinking, guys, this is like fresh there's a bear here. And I come running up the hill. I'm like, guys, I think there's a bear here. I think there's a bear here. And they're all standing next to this tree. And one of them is in the tree. Their backpacks are off. And they're all going like this. And they're going, dude, you just scared it away. <laughs> you should have come up the hill quietly. And I, I look, and I, I never saw a bear on that entire trip. And all of my buddies had. And the, you know, we all know that feeling of you should have been here. You missed out. You just missed it. I was in Chicago when Heather and I were first married in 1997 and 98. We lived a stone's throw from Wrigley Field and went to a Cubs game, a historic one where the Mark McGuire-Sammy Sosa home run battle was going on and Mark McGuire had the home run record and Sammy Sosa was chasing him down. And I, of course, go to buy nachos. And while I'm in line, <laughs> Sammy Sosa breaks the record and beats Mark McGuire's number. And I come back, I hear the stadium erupt and I'm standing underneath this concrete thing thinking, what am I doing? I come out and Heather goes, should have been here, you just missed it. <laughs> we, we know that feeling where we just missed it. And try to imagine what Thomas w went through for an entire week of the disciples saying, man, he came through locked doors. He showed us his hands. He was here. Jesus is alive. He had to suffer the should have been there for an entire week. I had to laugh this week as I was studying because John Stott made a comment about this. Um, speaking of church attendance, he said, it is a calculated risk to be an irregular churchgoer. Thomas missed church that week, missed Jesus. Had to wait till the next week. And I will say, you know, we come to church on Sunday, and, and a lot of times we do our duty to the Lord. We go through the prayers. We confess. We break bread. We go out into the world, and, and it's a good week. There are other times where the Lord does something unique, where we feel his presence, where something from his word is for us, and we think, man, that is right for my heart, or we're just overcome with joy. It doesn't happen every time. But as Stott says, it's a calculated risk to be an irregular churchgoer. And Thomas knows that. Now, I don't know if it's a coincidence or maybe he lived into his namesake, but one of the buddies that was on that backpacking trip, his name is Tom, and he's a, a dear friend of mine from high school. He also is a pastor. He's actually a pastor out in California um, at a huge church uh, in Eagle Rock. And um, he, he, from the time we were in high school, was like a lawyer, incisive with his questions. He was even thinking of going into law, and he would torture the youth pastor with all these questions and concerns and doubts, and he was constantly asking them. And he even had a few conditions on service. You know, before he decided to lay down his pursuit of law and go into ministry, he looked at Jerry's ministry as a youth pastor, 
And it was in western Pennsylvania, and Jerry underwrote the ministry by mowing the lawns of the elderly people in the church, and he used it as a way to minister to kids. I mean, I became a Christian riding in the truck with Jerry mowing lawns. But Tom said, I'm not going to serve the Lord if I have to mow lawns. (laughs) Now, that's a condition. He laid down a condition coming in. And, you know, I think some of us, by temperament, let's say, are more open to receiving faith. We're just, we don't struggle as much. Others just, it's hard. We're asking questions and fighting and pressing against, could this be true? And having all these doubts. But all of us come with conditions. We all come to the Lord with conditions where we say, I'll serve you, but I'm not tithing. I'll serve you, but I'm not going to Africa. Or, you know, I'll become a Christian, but I do not want to forgive that person. You know, whatever it might be. I mean, think back. Every one of us have, we have conditions that we bring. And Thomas is no different. He brings both his doubts, his skepticism, and these conditions he lays down. And it's really emphatic in the Greek. Unless I see his hands and put my finger in the nail holes, I will never believe. It's emphatic. I will never believe. It's a powerful word that he says, and he's laying down a condition. Now, John's gospel is highly stylized. And I I began this prayer this morning by quoting something from the very end of chapter 21, where he quite literally says, if all of Jesus' deeds were written down, the world couldn't contain it. There's not enough space for all the books, which is not an exaggeration. I mean, we're talking about the eternal Son of God, through whom all things were created. We don't even know what he's doing right now to uphold the galaxies that we can't even see. He's doing so much that if all his deeds were written down, this world really wouldn't wouldn't hold them. It's that mind-blowing. So like every great author, John had the difficult task of not what to write, but what to leave out. And so he says, Jesus did many other things that are not written in this book, but these, meaning these signs, are written so that you might believe that he is the Son of God, and by believing, have life in his name. And so what he does is he chooses seven, intentional with that number, because it's the number of perfection and completion, he chooses seven signs. And then he chooses seven I am statements of Jesus, where Jesus claims divinity. And then I didn't actually go through and count. I think it's about a dozen individuals that he highlights in their interaction with Jesus. And John is trying to show us what it looks like to move from not believing to believing. In fact, his, that his, his guiding principle in what he does with this whole book is the question of, will this help you believe and by believing have life in his name? So these are written for that purpose. So he starts with Nathaniel and Nicodemus and the woman at the well and the man born blind and Lazarus and a number of others. The last one in this chapter is Thomas. Right after the resurrection, Jesus comes to Mary Magdalene first, which does say something about the importance of women. It does say something about the great honor he bestowed on her to have her be the first witness to the resurrection and tell her to go tell the men he's alive. That's just awesome, but we'll save that for another sermon. And then we go to Thomas. So Thomas, why would John stick Thomas right here? This whole exchange, he didn't make it up, it really happened. But he chose to include it here, and I think the reason is because it's instructive for us. I think it's helpful for us to consider. Last week, we said, Jesus is alive. We celebrated the resurrection. But did some of us doubt? Do we question? Do we have conditions? Are we really willing to make him Lord? Or are we pursuing other things? I think it's an opportunity for us to stop and think, do I buy into this? Am I really a follower of Jesus? Am I willing to do this? So, 
Thomas's change, his transformation, only happens in a couple of verses. He goes from saying, I will never believe unless I put my fingers in the holes and put my hand in his side, to my Lord and my God. He moves from total hard-nosed doubt to one of the boldest statements of the divinity of Jesus ever, my Lord and my God. That's powerful. The commentators blew up over that one because of how clear it is of who Jesus' identity is. It's on the lips of Thomas. But only a couple of verses after he says, I won't believe. I will never believe until I put my fingers in the holes. And so what, what happened? Well, Jesus happened. He showed up and he met both the doubts and the conditions that Thomas had laid down for him. It's, in, it's, a, it's a weird construction grammatically when he says to stop disbelieving, but it says stop becoming disbelieving. It's a participle and it's in a continuous action. So it's not like he's saying, don't doubt, just believe. He's saying, Thomas, stop doing what you're doing that is leading to disbelief. Instead, do things that will lead to belief. And what's helpful for us is, is the reminder that faith, like a muscle, can atrophy or it can be strengthened. There are things that we can choose to do that will lead to further believing. There are things that we can choose to do that will lead to disbelieving. Thomas, stop becoming disbelieving, but becoming believing instead. That's basically what Jesus says. That's, it's, it's okay for you to have doubts. It's okay to question things. In fact, it's good. Like my friend Tom, he wasn't just torturing the youth pastor. He was actually, he wanted to know. He wanted to find out the answers. And temperamentally, I'm far more go with the flow, kind of accepting, and I had faith. I, but it was a simple faith at first. I heard the story, and to quote John Wesley, my heart was strangely warmed, and I believe I trusted Jesus. But I was in no way ready to give witness to anyone else. I couldn't answer any questions that a skeptic might have. How do you know that book is trustworthy? It's written by a bunch of different people. You know, it's, it's, it's got all kinds of inconsistencies. I mean, the question, there's a number of questions. I'd never asked them. But I stood there while Tom, for an entire year, was asking the youth pastor all these questions. And what I started to realize is there are good answers to those questions, reasonable answers. This is not a blind faith. This is based on truth. It's, it's defendable. And there are a few questions that we can't answer. And I found out some of those as well. And it was, Jerry knew his Bible. He knew the word well, the youth pastor. And I found the questions that can't be answered. And so it was really helpful to be able to, to watch how he navigated that. Now, there's a different kind of doubt. There's a kind of doubt that is an excuse for staying away from God. There's a kind of doubt that leads to disbelieving. There's a kind of doubt that leads to skepticism and, and a hardened heart. And people use these doubts as a reason to keep God at arm's length and to renounce him and reject him. And we have to be very careful about that kind of doubt. It's, it's not good. The Proverbs talk about three different characters. There's the wise man, the fool, and then the scoffer. It's okay to start out as a fool, but then wisdom is starting to pursue God. It's the beginning of wisdom, right? To, under, to, to seek the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of of wisdom, but the scoffer becomes a scoffer because he indulges doubt in an unhealthy way. He's becoming disbelieving. But if you're doubting or you're asking real questions and you really want answers, that's good. Press in. There are answers. Jesus comes and he gives some answers to Thomas and the others. And I like how Jesus' 
recorded ministry is all through um, the Gospels because he, he, he threads a needle right down the middle of faith and disbelief. And he doesn't just show up in his glory. If Jesus were to walk into this room right now, resurrected in his glory, first of all, we would all be terrified, which is why he has to say to them, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Calm down. Peace be with you. Okay, because we'd be terrified. But there would be no one who doubts the reality of Jesus. We would all be overcome with that. We would also, some of us, reject him. Maybe, I hope none of us in here, but some would reject him. We acknowledge that he's the Lord, but we don't want him. Others, we would, we would melt in his presence and be so delighted. Of course, that would mean the end of the world as we know it, because Christ will come back. We're waiting for that event. But see, what he does in his earthly ministry is he goes right down the middle he comes in and he teaches in a way that invites sincere questioners to pursue him, and then he gives more understanding. And those who don't really care and aren't really sincere, they go away and become hardened. He says in his parables, like Mark 4 and others, the parable of the sower, at the end he says, let him with ears hear. And then those that really want to hear and understand, they go and they ask more questions. And those that don't, they just kind of write them off, dismiss them, and they go away. So Jesus intentionally does that for the sake of our faith. So are you a sincere questioner or are you pursuing the kind of disbelieving that leads to a hardened skepticism? I hope not. So, but he comes and he meets, first of all, Thomas in his doubts. And then he also meets his conditions. He doesn't have to do this, but he holds out his hands. You know, he, t- he tells him later, blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. And frankly, think about this. If you had to see Jesus in order to believe, you wouldn't be here. There would be no church. Jesus could not do all of his own evangelism. Because of the bodily incarnation of Jesus, there were some limitations. He said, it's better for me to go to the Father so that the Holy Spirit could come and then do this work all around the world. The way faith comes is by hearing the word. That's what Paul says in in Romans. And the word is the testimony of the witnesses, which are the apostles, and it's recorded in the New Testament. So faith comes from hearing the word. Someone tells you about the cross. Someone explains about sin and atonement and the love of God. And then what happens is faith starts to grow. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. It's not something that we generate. Of course, when I give testimony, I want to try to convince you, but I can't generate faith. That is a gift from God, as it says in Ephesians 2. It's a gift of God that he gives faith. But that should be enough. But you see, Jesus being who he is comes to Thomas and actually shows him. He gives him the opportunity. But you notice something in here? He doesn't take it. Thomas doesn't reach over and grab Jesus' hand and stick his finger in the nail hole. He instantly just says, my Lord and my God, and worships him. Why doesn't he do it? Well, I think there are a couple of reasons. One He's taken aback by the fact that Jesus heard his conditions. He's always listening. Jesus hears you right now. Whatever you're saying to him, he's hearing it. Even if you're saying it with a little bit of an edge like Thomas did, the Lord hears that. He didn't hang out in that room for a week. I don't really know where he went. We don't know. In my flesh, I'd love to think that he went and did a whole big, I told you so. Hey, Pilate, check this out. I told you so. <laughs> hey, Herod, I told you so. I mean, but he didn't, I don't think he did that. But I, I, would love, I would love for that to have been the case, but I just don't think he did that. But we don't know what he did. 
So for a week he's gone, and those guys are going, Thomas, you should have been here. You should have been here, man. And so for a whole week, he's, he's there with, the, with those guys saying, I will never believe unless I put my hands in his, in his nail holes. Jesus heard that. So he shows up, and he says, Thomas, here you go. Want to go for it? Right there, he's cut to the heart. He's aware that the Lord is listening. Jesus is always listening. Another thing is, Jesus is always seeking. Who was hiding behind a locked door and who was breaking through that door to get to Thomas? Thomas wasn't out seeking Jesus. Jesus was seeking Thomas. And all of us think that we are God seekers at one point in our life. We think I'm on a search for God and then when we find him, we realize he's been pursuing me since the foundation of the world. He's the one who was stirring up in me a desire for what he has. He's been drawing me all along that he's the original seeker, not me. And Thomas realizes that. Now, I think it's important for Thomas that he does give witness, physical, sees with his own eyes the resurrected Jesus because it completed his resume as an apostle. You'll remember in Acts chapter one when they replace Judas with Matthias, one of the criteria for someone who could be an apostle, a capital A apostle, was that they had seen the resurrected Lord. And so by coming to Thomas and saying, look, that made him qualified to go and be an apostle. And church tradition has it that he went and he gave witness out to the far east. He went to India and planted the church there and was eventually martyred there in Madras, says church history. It's not in the scriptures, but it's probably what he did. Um, So in order to be a, a capital A sent apostle, he had to be an eyewitness. So Jesus came and completed his resume. He did the same thing for the apostle Paul by coming to him on the road to Damascus. So, but Jesus is always seeking. He's pursuing, he's seeking. Third thing is, when Thomas saw the wounds, I think he was cut to the heart by the fact that his sin and our sin caused that. It was us that caused that to happen. Jesus didn't have to do that, but our sin caused it. It was our sin that put him there. And so you think, well, he's a resurrected, perfected body. You know, his nose wasn't broken and his face wasn't swollen from all the beating. Why the marks? Well, they're the marks of glory. They're beautiful. And they tell us something about the nature of our God, that he is a redeemer, that in his hand, no suffering is wasted. It's glorified. Even the, one, the ones, the kind of suffering that you and I will go through in this life, in the hands of Christ, those things are used for good. We won't know all the time how that is until later, but that's just the nature of who he is, that he took something so awful as the crucifixion, and what did he work for us with it? Salvation, atonement for our sins, forgiveness. So those marks are there for eternity. We will get to, we, with our eyes, will get to see those eventually and how powerful that will be. No suffering is wasted with the Lord. So Thomas just goes to right to worship. He doesn't need to touch them. He just says, my Lord and my God. Now, what do we do with this? Well, I want to make two application points. The first one is back to the doubts and the conditions. Even as we started church today, I said, bring those to the Lord in worship. I don't know what your conditions are on serving the Lord, but are you willing to bring those to him in prayer? Talk about it. Negotiate with him. He'll listen. He's always listening. What are the questions and doubts that you have? Are you just asking them, or do you really want the answer? Bring those into the Word of God. I want you to read the Word. Go to the New Testament first 
and see what it says about those questions, and then go to the Old Testament and see what it says about the New Testament. Become a biblical person. Get the answers. Find out which questions can't be answered because we don't know, and get the answer to all the other ones. Lay down any conditions that you've got. He loves you unconditionally. Now, the second thing, not only taking that to the word first, which is basically like an airplane metaphor, put your oxygen mask on first, okay? Get those things sorted. Become believing. Stop becoming disbelieving. And then be a witness. Lead people to Christ. Go give testimony. In this passage, Jesus says, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, so am I sending you. He expects us to be witnesses, to be missionaries, wherever we are, to tell people the goodness of this message. But how can we do it if we don't have a good reason for our own hope and our own faith? So get the answer and then go give witness. Start leading people to Christ. Tell them why you believe. Tell them what it means for you to experience this newness of life that comes from believing. The faith is so important. That's why, that's why John wrote his gospel so that you would believe and then have life in his name. What does that life look like for you? How is it different than when you didn't know Christ? Be ready to share. You, you are a sent one. You are a missionary. And that's the way that God is evangelizing the world. He's doing it through your witness. So let's get our stuff sorted, bring our doubts, bring our conditions to the Lord, and then take those answers and go share them with others. I'll, t- I'll tell you what, it will, for one, it will bolster your faith to get out there and start telling people. Two, you'll see God at work. You'll see stuff. You'll see lives transformed. The Alpha course is amazing. I love watching what happens. You invite a neighbor, they come, and they say, God changed my life, and then they start to live this life with us. The church is expanded, and your faith will be expanded as well because of that. So let's, let's do that. Let's go and give witness. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for your word this morning. I do thank you for your servant, Thomas. I thank you for his example. I thank you for the ways that you won him over. Lord, we give you our hearts, our questions, our conditions. We ask that you would help us, like Thomas, to say, my Lord and my God. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.